Welcome to Risk Roundup. The advances in information communication and digitization technologies has transformed the way individuals and entities across nations, its government industries, organizations, and academia connect, communicate, and collaborate across cyberspace, geospace, and space. Today, technologies have come to rule and even dictate the terms on which communication is undertaken across NGIOA. NGIOA means nations, its government industries, organizations, and academia. Now, when we are at the crossroads of major technological changes as we are now, new communication technologies are constantly being unveiled and older ones are constantly being modified or updated. It is important to understand and evaluate its impact, trends, and future predictions. Since relationships and results within, between, and across NGIOA depend on communication and connectivity, the existing and emerging communication channels across CGS, that means cyberspace, geospace, and space, independently and collectively are playing a key role in shaping the very foundation and future of not only communication and connectivity, but the sharing economy that the world is passionately trying to build. So when we change the tools and technology, driver and nature of communication and connectivity, we change the relationships and we change the results, thereby changing the very configuration of human culture, civilization, and the very fundamentals of society. To discuss changing nature of communication and its impact further, I am delighted to welcome Tudor Mihalescu to this roundup. Tudor is the co-founder of GovFaces, and he is currently a visiting fellow at the George Washington University. He is from Switzerland. Welcome, Tudor. We are delighted to have you on Risk Roundup. I'm very happy to be here. Thank you very much, Jayshree. Wonderful, Tudor. So what is driving the ongoing revolution in communication channels today, Tudor? Well, the drivers are multiple, I would say. Um, what I find very interesting is that um, you know, in, I'll start by an example. Um, in the 1950s, when President Truman spoke on TV and radio, 130 million people would watch the address that would be 30 or 40 minutes from the beginning to the end. 130 million people. The last State of the Union address that that Donald Trump gave was watched on TV by 43 million. Uh, usually when we talk about communication technology, we think that, and we assume that today we have, we watch things better than 50 or 60 years ago. And we assume that politicians have more means to get their message across than 50 to 60 years ago. It's actually quite on the contrary. Uh, the more fragmented commun the communication space has become, the more means of communication we have, the less access to good quality information citizens have, and the less opportunities politicians have to actually get their message across in depth. Yes. Citizens have access to buzzwords from many directions, but very few know how to select their sources and the communication channels so that they can get in-depth quality information. That, that's probably one of the biggest problems. And one of the biggest paradoxes and one of the biggest challenges and risks 
that we need to solve. Yes, absolutely. That is a perfect example. I mean, you gave a really good summary of how the communication is different today from uh, the time of uh, that president to this president and state of union. So that's a perfect example because the internet today is changing all the relationship irrespective of you know which component of a nation we are talking about. You gave a perfect example of uh, government and how the uh, how the politicians are giving their presentations, giving their message out. And that is one, you know, aspect. And there are many different aspects. But the biggest thing is that the media, the newest media of communication is on the internet. And these media is changing and growing every single day. And that is changing so many different aspects of the nations and how we communicate. But let's talk about the trends. What trends do you see for communication in 2018? Evaluating all different uh, channels that are available. What do you, where do you see the trends you know, taking us uh, as far as communication is concerned in 2018? Uh, to me, <coughs> um... And there's, there's many different types of communication here, right? There's interpersonal communication, which is how you and me can stay in touch today, you being in Texas and I being, being in D.C. And that's something, that's something that social media has done incredibly well. You can keep in touch with people all over the world. The communication is instant. It's been, there's been a democratization of this space in, uh, in many ways. Um, I, was, I was listening to, to, to an interview that Barack Obama gave with David Letterman like a few days ago, I think. And he was saying, you know, I took Malaya Obama to college and it was so different from when I was in college. I tried to call my grandmother, but she wouldn't pick up because she said it would cost too much. So that's a problem that we've solved these days. Yes. Now, one problem we haven't solved is the way politicians actually communicate with their citizens. Uh, and for me, that's one of the biggest paradoxes of this space. Um, because the, the, the logic hasn't changed that much. Yes. Paradoxically, Politicians use Twitter today in the very same way they used the radio 70 years ago, which is, okay, how can we get our message to as many people as possible? There hasn't been a democratization of this space. You as a citizen do not have more channels to get to the politicians than, than you had then, it's, and it's paradoxical. Uh, I, I spent some time uh, at the local level in the UK right before the 2015 general elections and the 2016 Brexit. And I would talk to local politicians and I would tell them, what do you think of Twitter and Facebook? And they would say, they would laugh when you told them that this can actually enable them to engage better. They know they can do electronic leafletting with it, but still the best way to talk to citizens is if you shake their hand at the town hall and you meet with them in person. That's probably one of the biggest challenges for us in 2018. Can we bring this town hall atmosphere somehow on the internet? Because it hasn't happened yet. Yeah. That is a perfect example you give because when we evaluate 
like you said that twitter is available to politicians they are able to send their message out like how president uh, uh, trump is doing and how many other uh, politicians have started to use the accounts like twitter and facebook um, but we don't see the two way communication so the challenge you just mentioned is absolutely the, uh, right on because we see communication happening from politician to the masses to the citizens consumers but we don't see the two way communication that the you know individuals can send a message or the citizens can directly communicate with their uh, politicians or their representatives so that is not happening uh, this ongoing evolution in communication and connectivity is giving rise to a new generation of conscious consumers and conscious citizens that wants to get their voice heard and these reflects the shifts in the communication trends and communication patterns uh, we see you know that consumers there are many kinds of communication is happening two way conversations to many to many collaborative communications all that is happening but it has the advances and progress has happened in uh, you know sporadically in certain segments of the society it's not happening you know universally in the right way so that what shifts do you see currently happening because of these con uh, conscious consumers because uh, like you said you know the people they want to get their voice heard so what do you think that you know this desire of these conscious consumers to have their voice heard what shifts do you see that bringing um it's very interesting that you mentioned consumers um in business and in marketing uh this shift has already happened so wherever you go you you go on youtube and you when you watch a video at the beginning of the video you get an advert asking you questions about a certain brand um this has happened already um and it's voluntary so the interesting thing about the business world is that businesses want ask you to give them answers and they want feedback in the political world it happened a bit differently um and that's why that's why there've been these scandals about uh, about cambridge analytica and all the data that has been taken from users uh politicians want to know what the right audiences are and what their organizations what the citizens would like to find out but without asking them directly what do you want and that's something that for me should need to change for me the 21st century politics is about citizens actually being able to ask questions and engage in a dialogue with with the politicians a real dialogue rather than these one way communication on each side that kind of gets bogged down in the noise uh, another pattern that i see and see this is in a way this is me saying what i've seen and saying what i hope happens um for me there is a need and i've seen this already for instance with instagram and snapchat putting expiration date on content we need to reduce the amount of content like more content is not necessarily better quality or more understanding so for me one of the trends is actually understanding 
how to communicate better and less. At the beginnings of the social media networks, um, everything, investment would be given on posts. Like, okay, so how many, how many hours do your people spend on the site? Uh, how many posts have they made? Those things are starting to change now. And we can see the example given by Facebook. They changed their algorithms. The number of hours that, that, uh, that users spent on the site dropped, but it was well seen on the, uh, in, uh, in the investment world. So we're seeing a shift in that because people realize that the internet has enabled everyone to post content there but not every content is worth consuming and not every content is worth keeping. Um, I, I attended yesterday a very interesting um, UK committee hearing on fake news and misinformation in the US. So the MPs came here and they were talking with media personalities, with the, with, the, with the representatives from Facebook and Twitter. And I remember something that stuck with me was something that Major Garrett said. He's one of the White House correspondents for NBC. Uh, he basically said, people need to understand that content is content, journalism is journalism, and they're not interchangeable. We have, the internet has an amazing force and the power of the internet is that everyone can put their content out there. But we need to understand how to consume that content and we need to make a difference between um, facts of life and the type of data and the information that we should base our decisions on. May they be political decisions, business decisions, and so on. I think that's very important because these days, the biggest problem is that when people have so many sources of news, they get confused and they do not make a difference between a provider of journalism like NBC or CNN and, and, uh, and the living room blogger in terms of how that information is put together, how that information is checked and fact-checked and then distributed. And that's, that's, a, that's an important danger. That's also a great promise, but that's, all, that's also a danger. Yes, absolutely. No, I hear your points on that. Now, about the journalism and all this content that's being posted, it's going to be very difficult for decision makers to make a you know distinction between what is journalism and what is citizen journalism because if you see uh, social media is allowing live you know broadcast of so many anybody can broadcast anything so any individual seeing something you know within their nation they can immediately broadcast that now how the journalists may not even able, be able to go there at that point so the, there is a blurring boundary between citizen journalism and the actual journalist. And I, I think there is no way journalists are going to be able to stop that because the citizen journalism is picking up. Now, this first point that you made about that there is a need for citizen involvement into the you know decisions that the politicians make. And that is for this young generation to come up with a new way of uh, governance. 
how this how we can bring a new innovative way of governing as as far as the governments are concerned where citizens you know their voice is heard more and they can play a bigger role in decision making right now the politicians are taking decisions uh, as far as the policy is concerned as far as any decision is concerned how much to spend where to spend all of those areas but the citizens in the coming years i expect that citizens are going to play a bigger role once the young generation people like you are able to define a new way of you know governing where lot of where we can save money where it's cost effective where it's uh, and where it's more effective in the sense that citizens play a direct role in that we can minimize lot of functions of governments by a new model of government that we all very badly need now businesses are you know rapidly changing if you see i mean they ask the consumers to give them feedback and they are effectively able to bring the changes that needs to be in the products in the services we don't see that in government because governments are not taking the feedback very seriously so there are a lot of different aspects sorry a lot of different aspects that need to change in the coming years so it will be interesting to see how all these you know plays out uh, in the next 5 years 10 years and how this young generation is able to come up with the new models and uh, how we are able to bring down the risk of the fake you know news and the fake content and the bad you know people the terrorists and all of the bad uh, the components of the society taking over the media and the message and how the you know we can bring down the risk and how the rewards we can bring more to the society but now since all human relationships depend on communication irrespective of whether is human to human or is between uh, consumers and businesses or consumers and government what is the effect of these new communication channels on human relationships society and culture that you see two points um cuz first you are asking me okay how can we make citizens more involved i think it's very important to to understand uh how this form of representative democracy came about citizens wanted to enjoy more of their private rights and private life so they started giving more and more responsibility to the elected to to the elected representatives right because if you look at like ancient greece like the city states there was no private life everything happened out there in the open and everyone participated to it right El- representative democracy came about as a way of giving citizens their private life so that they can enjoy that and giving the responsibilities of governing to a small group of people that would do it day in and day out so that the others can enjoy their private life uh it's very important that is very important because i believe that the solutions i believe that technology can help citizenry become more involved citizenry take some of the responsibilities that right now are solely the prerogative of the elected representatives but what needs to happen is time efficiency technology needs to improve the ratio between time spent and impact made because we cannot expect citizens right now to give 
again, to give away once again their the enjoyment of their private life for the public good. They can do it to a certain extent, but that but technology needs to make sure that every minute they spend in for the good of the society ha actually has a huge impact. So to me, civic tech applications need to make sure that that happens, that every moment that a citizen spends doing something for the greater good actually has an impact in doing so. That's also yeah. one of the problems why, why they don't go to vote, because they feel that going to vote doesn't make a difference. And there's many ways that technology can achieve that. Yes. No, that would be a start that, you know, each and every individual should vote. And if the technology gives that power to individuals to vote, irrespective of whether they are able to take a day off. I mean, a lot of people are not voting because they don't get time to take day off. Now, if we are able to bring the voting digital, you know, where anyone from their mobile phone can vote, that would be, you know, that would increase the participation uh, in voting, you know, uh, tremendously. And uh, we will be able to see active uh, involvement of citizens. But I think citizens will be able to play a much bigger role for, I'm sure that, you know, like you said, they want to enjoy their private uh, life and they want to enjoy uh, their private time. But at the same time, each individual wants to do something uh, bigger than themselves and they want to contribute to uh, the society. So I'm sure that the new models that will emerge in the coming years will, you know, ha use the active involvement of citizens so that uh, there is a vibrant, you know, community that we can develop, you know, wherever there is need that we can send help. And it seems that the internet is no longer just about connecting people with information. It's connecting people with people where they individually and collectively are able to share their thoughts and ideas with each other and the world. This kind of collaboration we've already started seeing in humans, that is, you know, in a digital format, are the main inhabitants of the cyberspace. Data and information is there, no doubt, but that would not exist without the human inhabitation. So cyberspace is about human occupation. So when cyberspace is about human inhabitants, that are working independently and collectively to create this alternate world. What is necessary to empower this revolution in communication for the greater good of the society? That, that's very interesting. Uh, that's interesting that you bring this. For me, it's one aspect of it is to make it more human. Um, I, I think the internet has been amazing at... distributing information and content, but less about actually connecting humans. Uh, that, is why, that, was, that is why these social networks have a huge problem with hate speech and, and hate crime, all of them. It's because in the buzz of it all, humans don't really connect to one another. Um, and that is, that is, again, coming back to the town hall example, the people cannot sh do virtual handshakes online that much as they do in real person. If you meet a person... Not yet, but in the coming years, they may be. And that's, the, and that's, that's something that we need to go for. Like, see, these types of conversations that we have here, types of conversations that allow us to be human and to agree 
and exchange information with each other. That that is what what I think one of the trends that I'd like to see more, like humanizing the internet space, Absolutely. rather than rather than focusing only on uh, only on the information that we broadcast without any without any care for who is behind that information, how they use it, and what they want to do with it. Yes. Because I, the more information that you have, the more information that you need to consume, the less you care about who gives, who gives that information to you. Yes, absolutely. I mean, just imagine the potential when AR, VR, mm-hmm. uh, technology advancement would be there, that we would be, uh, I could, you know, uh, right now it seems like you are in the DC, I'm here in Texas, but uh, we are in two different places. It feels that now we will be able to create a studio environment in AR, VR. But it seems like we are sitting next to each other and we are having a panel discussion. We can have more, many more participants and we can have a good panel discussion. I'm waiting for that technology to happen. So it would be more humanizing. It would be more, you know, interesting for our viewers and listeners all over the world to see and feel like how, you know, this uh, tech, uh, discussion is happening. It's like, yeah. you know, everyone is in one room. That is just one example. And it's pretty amazing that we have all these communication tools by with which we can communicate to anyone and anywhere on anything. Think about the potential that, you know, Hangouts or Skype has given uh, people like me. Who would like to, you know, have a dialogue, a serious dialogue with decision makers from, you know, all across nations? That would not have been possible if this technology didn't exist. Uh, I, how many people can, you know, come uh, travel to United States to sit down with me and have a discussion? So this has been made possible because of this technology advances, the com- advances in the communication tools. So do you feel like we are benefiting to the extent we should be by exploring the potential of these new communication tools. So I, I, I think I think the first part of the discussion was was a bit um, I, I came across as a bit skeptical. Um, the reason why I'm like that is because I am someone who recognizes the power of these technologies, and I am a true believer that technology can solve problems and make our lives better. But because I'm a believer in that, I f- tend to focus on the challenges and how to how to work through those challenges. And that's why in the first part of the discussion, I was like, okay, like we need to humanize it. We need to make sure that we condense content and, and all of these aspects. Yes, I, I do think that in the last 20 years, our ability to do things, our ability to solve problems, our ability to connect with one another all over the world has, has massively improved. Uh, I, think, I think right now citizens have more, are more able to get, they, they consume more content, they consume more news because they can. And, and that's so important. Like the, the number of people who right now are empowered by, by access to information is incredible and is higher than we've, we've ever seen. That being said, uh, I think we should focus more on teaching indivi- citizens, consumers, individuals, parents, children, how to use the internet technology. Uh, because the, the the industry has grown so rapidly. It's 
it's evolving so rapidly uh, that we need to find ways to actually keep pace with it. It's like, it's, you know, anything, like if, if you don't teach a person how to use a certain medium, they can use it for, for good, but also for worse. Uh, I think putting more money in, educa in educating consumers and citizens about, about the challenges and about the, the, the promises of, of the internet technology and all the other technologies that are, are growing so fast these days would be really, really important. Oh, absolutely. I, I agree with you on that, that we do need to spend more resources on education. Uh, the other point that you made, and I think earlier also in the beginning of the discussion, you talked about that we don't need so much content on internet. How can we condense that? How can we eliminate that? That is an interesting topic. And I, I, I hear your point on that, that there is too much information on that. But how? who is going to define what needs to be there and what doesn't need to be there? How are we going to make decisions that this content, you know, will have only certain life or who can post content? So these are very complex issues because the Internet is about freedom. Yeah. It's like everyone has a right to be, you know, That's there. Everyone has a right to contribute. Everyone has a right to uh, give their voice. So how are we going to decide whose content, you know, has uh, more, more priority and should, you know, remain there and whose content should not? So these are very complex challenges we'll, that we will need to, you know, come up with some kind of framework, like what kind of content uh, can have a longer life, what kind of content we should go away, like in Snapchat and uh, other, you know, media, uh, tools that we see. So that's a, this is a topic of discussion for some other time on how we will define that because it needs some kind of framework to come mm -hmm. up with a process, effective process of what can be eliminated, what can, you know, not be eliminated and who will be in charge of that, who will, you know, make the decision. So that's a, a very complex uh, and a separate topic of discussion. But now as social networking is becoming an active, you know, it, it is getting so embedded into the daily lives of individuals and entities across India. You look at any component of a nation, the social media and networking sites have started playing a big role and they are increasing exponentially. So do you see for this generation, social networking is even beyond supplanting email or the text messages as the preferred method of communication? Do you see that? Uh, just to come back on the, on the other point, because I think there's, there's one important component there. Users are not free online. Um, if, and I'll, I'll give you a simple example. If you go out on the street and you want to reach from point A to point B, you're not free to want to wander however you want. You need to abide by certain rules. You need to stop at the red light. You need to go on pedestrian crossings and so on. It's the same on every social networking environment. You abide by certain rules. The reason why most people post on Facebook and Instagram is not necessarily because they want to, but because they feel pressured to do so. Because the, the norms of the community are, for instance, on Twitter, is the more you post daily, the more you will get hurt. I think it's very important for, for people to understand that we're not we're free to the extent 
to the extent of the norms that those social networks have created. If, if the social networks took more responsibility in reducing the amount of addiction that users have feel when they post or educating them on, on when they should post and when not. Uh, I'll give you an example. I, 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 tried to, I tried to do this experiment. I, uh, I deleted Instagram and Facebook from my phone for a, day, uh, for, for a few days. And after 30 or 40 minutes, I'd feel the urge to go there and just check. Even though I had nothing, I, I didn't want to, I didn't, I didn't feel the need to consume the information necessarily. I didn't feel enriched to do so, but I felt the addictive need to just check. It's the same thing with posting. Uh, I'll give you an example from our own work uh, in terms of how to condense that information. So we, I am a co-founder of a startup that does community engagement. So we put citizens and politicians to talk to one another. And we're thinking, okay, how can we reduce the, condense the content? And we came up with this. You have a question about garbage collection. You post a question and then your other community members, rather than posting their own question about that, can upvote the question that you have so that they form a group behind the question. That saves a lot of time, of time on the citizen side because they, cannot, they don't need to think of their own question and post it. They just upvote the one that is already there. Less content but with better force. That saves a lot of time on the politician side because rather than receiving 50 questions on garbage collection, they receive one. But when they answer, they answer to the same 50 people who would have asked individual questions. There's ways to do so. There's ways to build environments with rules that save people's time and encourage them to post less, but have a higher impact. That's what I was saying. For me, technology should serve this goal. The ratio between time spent and impact made should be high because that's the only way you can make citizens take an active part in, in government and in democracy if you I, value I, their time. I think you have a point there, and I hear you on that, that uh, there needs to be some rules, but... Again, we go back to the same point. Who is going to define those rules? Is Facebook, you know, responsible for defining that rules for all its participants? Is Twitter going to do that? Because every single minute you will see so many people tweeting, you know, for no reason, the same thing again and again. Or, you know, something very silly like, okay, I woke up, I'm having tea, I'm having, uh, you know, I'm going to work, I'm taking shower, all that lot of nonsensical, you know, messages you will see on that. Now, do, do we need to tell that to the world what we are doing minute by minute or second by second? Of course not. It has to be meaningful. I agree with you on that. But how are we going to do that? How are we going to be able to come up with the framework yeah. or the model where, you know, we don't see this kind of, you know, communication? Let that communication be between you and your family or your close friends in a separate environment. But it doesn't have to be on Internet. Do it in a messaging group. It doesn't have to be on internet. So there are a lot of things that needs to change. This is just, you know, the democratization of internet that yeah. is 
uh, you know, God has got everyone excited and everyone is participating. And I agree with you that there's a lot of pressure. There's a lot of, you know, influence that, okay, if I am not active, then I won't get many friends. I won't get many likes. So for getting likes or for getting, you know, more friends, which are, you know, uh, I don't know even how true friends they are on social media. People are going crazy in a lot of different ways. But we do need a model. We do need some kind of guidelines. We do need some kind of uh, boundaries. And maybe, you know, sometimes we do need some kind of payment that would change the behavior because we do need to change the behavior. And over the last decade, technology has transformed the way we work. It has helped us to communicate faster and more effectively than ever before. But we are now using email and text messaging more than ever since the you know invention of that. Now we are also communicating on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn, all different kinds of you know platforms. But do you see that with all this virtual communication, the standard of our oral communication is declining? That the humans in you know geospace they are not able to communicate or they are not able to socialize in the same manner in the human you know human manner that needs to be there that you know the society is moving more towards the cyberspace and virtual environments yeah that that's a huge challenge it, uh, it I, there was an exhibition a few years ago uh, about the uh, the the unsocialization of social media. I don't, I don't remember what the name was exactly. And this photographer would capture people sitting at the same table in a cafe, but all of them on their phones. It's like the death of personal communication. Uh, yeah, I've seen that a lot. It's like you see, you see people like using, uh, using dating applications like Tinder in, in universities where they could just go to, to the next table and, and talk to the girl that they like. Uh, it's there is this is a huge this is a huge danger where you where you think that technology has a solution to all your problems and you 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 negate or you neglect the the, the real world out there and uh, and how you how you can actually how you can you know, actually achieve your your goals with offline rather than just online uh, to me the best the the best communication tools and media tools are those that actually uh, facilitate offline interaction are just a means for us to for for offline interaction for better facilitating offline interaction Obviously, there's caveats on that because it depends on the tool and it depends on the medium. But that's that's kind of how I see it. And coming back to the other to the other point, who like this is a huge challenge. Like a company like Facebook manages the lives of, of two billion people. It's more than any government does. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they they're not well equipped for that. Uh, these tools have been built and. I, I bet that none of them, not even someone as visionary as, as Mark Zuckerberg, knew where he was going to take this. So you had a bunch of tech nerds who were doing amazing stuff at that and helped by a bunch of brilliant business minds. But very little of what they built was built having in mind how to engineer a social or communication framework. 
that's why governments have so many different departments, so many different checks and balances, so many different areas of expertise because managing people's life is really tough. Yes. And you need to engineer a system in which humans can be at their best potential. I am not sure that social media networks right now have engineered that type of space. And I think that's why what they're realizing as well. And they, they need to assume more and more responsibility for the fact that by their decisions, by the algorithms that they create, they change people's behaviors. Yes. And they need to be more responsible and cooperate with governments on this. Because we're talking about this hybrid type of entity that is not a state that governs lives in many, manages lives and people's behaviors in many states. And I think that's one of the challenges to regulate and to find a way for civil society organizations, governments, and tech giants to actually work together to make sure that they create an environment that is good for people to live in. Yes, absolutely. No, I, I agree with you on that. In fact, in my last recent round of dialogue, we also had a similar discussion that all these social media, like Facebook and uh, also you know Apple, all these manufacturing devices maker and uh, Twitter and everyone, they need to we were talking about the security aspect that, you know, the, the security should be embedded, you know, by them. They should be the one driving the message that all these people who are on Facebook, that should, the Facebook should be telling them that what they should do and what they should not do to stay secure so that, you know, they don't have to reveal more information than necessary, that they should not, you know, click on every single link that is out there. These are the basic guidelines that, you know, Facebook should be providing to all its uh, uh, users, but they are not doing that. So that's why we have so many security, you know, vulnerabilities emerging from all these social media because they are not taking responsibility. And I agree with you that, you know, they, it's just like government, you do need, different departments you know because when facebook becomes much bigger than any nation's government or any nation's citizen then you do need to come up with a proper structure proper framework proper guidelines that when do you want facebook to take its users what do you want the you know community that the facebook is developing or any twitter or any you know uh, Social media, I mean, even let's talk about risk around the community that we are developing. What are we trying to drive? Where are we trying to drive our, you know, viewers, listeners or the community that we are developing? What we want them to learn, what we want them to understand, what how we want them to think. So all these guidelines, I mean, every social media, each and every social media, they will have to come up with that. That what is our vision? Where are we going? Where do we want to take our users? But we don't see that. Then that is just not happening. They created a platform that gives you know people ability to join that and chat. And but this is not with you know much thinking about or shaping the dialogue. Where do you want to go? Like I had a interesting discussion once with you know an editor of LinkedIn that they were you know defining that based on the number of clicks they are they were going to promote you know more and i told them look 
you have to see where you want to take LinkedIn because if you want to do it by just be on the basis of number of clicks, then you know any pornographic channel or any those kind of uh, content gets lots of likes. Do you want to promote that or you want to promote a message that is fitting the you know LinkedIn community that you want to make sure that drives the you know message and makes the the environment, the community, you know, get some uh, education awareness or uh, some message that needs to be in an effective way. So we, each and every, even LinkedIn has to come up with that decision where they want the LinkedIn to go. What, what do they want to do with this huge community that they are building? So this is, you know, all the management, the governing body of each and all, all every social media they will have to come up with uh, some answers and they will have to define uh, how where they want to go and what they want to achieve by the community that, that they are building so that is something that we we can just talk about uh, that and bring attention uh, and create awareness about the need of this dialogue by the social media but they will have to in the end you know come up with that uh, definition and nature of where they want to go. So let's talk about, you know, uh, one last aspect uh, is that the AR and VR, augmented reality and virtual reality, we are almost on the doorstep of that. And, you know, that will be coming uh, in near future and uh, reshaping the communication dialogue. So how do you see that reshaping the communication channels and dialogue in the coming years? I I th I think we cannot even imagine where this might where this might go. Um, it's it's interesting because um, I think there's many I, I think there's so many different applications. The, the the funny thing right now is that I've come to so when I talk to my own developers. Um, they always tell me everything is possible if you have the right resources. So you tell us what you want to achieve and where you want to go and we'll tell you how many resources it takes you to get there. I think that it's, I think that technology is a medium to get somewhere rather than the, than the objective in itself. Uh, so I think that both VR and uh, and like both artificial intelligence and like virtual reality and any other technology that we're developing or that we might be developing, we should know what we're developing it for and where we want to go with it. Rather than just get excited because we're doing it and just developing it it for the sake of developing it. Yes. Um, I, 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 like, I, I like companies who have a clear vision that doesn't change from day to day. For instance, I know that the reason why Elon Musk founded, Tes founded SpaceX is because he wants to make life interplanetary. And that's where he's going with it. Uh, I know that the reason he created Tesla was because he wanted people to drive electric cars and not use fuel anymore. And that's awesome. There are some companies that do not have a vision. I don't know what the vision of Snapchat is, for instance. And that's quite troubling because they have a huge 
capability to drive people's lives, but I don't know what the direction is. And, uh, and so I cannot get excited by the tools that they roll out because I don't know what they want to use them for. That's kind of that's how kind of uh, how I relate, and I, I like clear cut goals and like companies with vision, because I know I can trust them. I know I can use them, knowing that they want to get somewhere, and I know that everything they build goes towards that direction. Yes. I that's that's kind of how I see technology. No, very very true. No, that's an absolute clarity on uh, where we need the technology developers or visionaries to vision where they want the technology to make a difference, what they want to achieve by that. So let's talk about your organization, GovFace. How is it playing a role in redefining and redesigning this whole communication ecosystem? Where is it, where is it trying to provide value? So like there's, there's a few there's there's a few points here. One of them, gut faces came from our realization that, as we were talking before, politicians and citizens cannot actually engage with one another in a dialogue. Um, and also came from the realization that the social media spaces that are, we have today are used for politics, but they were not built for politics. And the people who manage them do not really rely that much on political science exp expertise, on communication expertise, and so on. So we wanted to create a tool that can actually serve this role. As you were saying earlier, is there a way to actually come up with a better tool than email to put people together? So we wanted to create this space where citizens can go on a platform that's a safe space for them in their own community so it's identity verified and be able to ask and receive ask questions and receive answers from policymakers on the questions that they care about that's how it came to life and it took us several stages to develop and come to the stage that we're in right now um, what we have right now is a tool that allows organizations and governments to bring their entire network into one space that they can manage, uh, a space where they know uh, the identity of their users so that they can, they can make sure that other people from other communities do not come in so you don't have fake news coming from some unknown account in some other part of the world. And the way it works is basically through this system of scalable question and answer sessions. If you as a citizen of Dallas, you can join a platform where you find that all the other citizens of Dallas and you also have access to your policymakers, you can ask a question about a certain topic and then the other citizens of Dallas can look at your question and upvoted if they feel they would like to hear an answer to it as, far, as well. Now, there is an interesting trick here. Um, as I was saying, we are focused on condensing information. So the only way to post on our platforms is by asking a question or 
giving a response to a question. It's, it's our way of educating our users that with every action that you make, you need to establish a connection, a human connection with someone. And the best way to establish a human connection with someone is by having a dialogue, questions and answers. That's the type of community that we want to create. That's the vision that we want to have. As I, like going back to the vision side of it. We see a world where citizens and politicians come together to have dialogues with one another and actually engage on the topics that they really care about rather than shouting at one another. We want to, we want to, to, to build this space of interactions uh, on, on political issues. That would be that would be very interesting, you know, to see the development and uh, when you are ready to launch that uh, platform. It would be interesting to see how the communities and citizens uh, respond to that because that would be an interesting way, or it there would be a way to create that interactive discussion dialogue between the government and the citizens. So uh, we would I would love to see the progress that you make on that. But what would you like to tell our global viewers and listeners about your the current, this current initiative, your vision and a message, especially to these young people all across nations, high school students, college students, to you know, young people at mind, young people at heart, who are out there and are keen to make a difference by solving problems and redesigning and redefining systems to make this world a better place. I think uh, it's actually so. Like coming back to what we do, it's uh, it's been launched. So we've been developing it for the last four years. We've had more than six hundred policymakers use it in different environments, like members of European Parliament, city councillors in the southeast of England, United Nations agencies in Geneva. So we've uh, we've um, we've come a long way, and we've already proven that there is an appetite for this. That politicians are don't feel outside their comfort zone when they answer questions rather than just broadcast uh, com uh, um, communication uh, in one direction. We've, uh, we've, we've gone there already and we're excited about what the, about what the next few years will bring. Um, in terms of my message, um, I believe that so many ideas, good ideas get lost and so many so many opportunities for impact get lost because people do not dare to try. I feel, I feel we live in a world where individual initiative is more empowered than it was 50 years ago or 30 years ago or even 15 years ago. And, and I feel that one way to contribute to the entire society is if every person makes their dream come true. Because every person is endowed with a set of skills and talents that make them great for something, and they should follow that. Um, you fail, but that's great because that means you tried. And actually, failing at something that that you love is more enriching than not trying it and and going with going with the flow and doing uh, doing stuff that that you don't really feel potentially passionate about that, that that's 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 my message and the reason why i can come here and speak with passion and with drive is because i haven't lost that ability to dream 
I feel it every day and I'm, I'm really happy doing the things that I do. Wonderful. That is uh, very, very good. Tudor. So thank you so much for participating in Risk Roundup today. We appreciate your thoughtful insight on the changing face of communication. And our global viewers and listeners will benefit tremendously from the information you provided on the communication tools and trends and the accompanying ongoing transformation. So even if a single individual across nation can come up with an idea to advance the communication tools, technology, and help bring the communication transformation across cyberspace, geospace, and space for individuals and entities across NGIA based on the understanding they receive from the discussion we had today. This Risk Roundup Dialogue has been of service, and we thank you for that. Thank you so much, Jayshi. It's, it's been a great pleasure to, to talk to you. I really enjoyed it. Wonderful. So no component of a nation today can operate in a world that isn't timely in their action, reaction and communication. Time is now for individuals and entities across nations, its government, industries, organizations and academia level their communication field for the global connectivity has to offer across the cyberspace, geospace and space. Time is now to understand the changing nature of communication. Risk Group Cybersecurity, Geosecurity, and Space Security Risk Research Centers are created for this very reason to identify, evaluate, and, ma evaluate and manage the risk-facing NGIOA and CGS, I mean, nations, its government, industries, organizations, and academia in cyberspace, geospace, and space. We at Risk Group believe that risk management, security, and peace, they walk together hand in hand. Though security is related to management of threats and peace to the management of conflict, Risk management is related to management of security vulnerabilities as well as management of conflict. It is not possible to conceive any one of the three without the existence of the other two. All three concepts feed into each other. We believe that the security we build for ourselves is precarious and uncertain until it is secure for everyone across nations. Tradition becomes our security. So if we build a culture of managing risk effectively, it will lead us to security and security will lead us to peace. Let's manage the existing and emerging risks together. For more information on the Risk Roundups, to watch the Risk Roundup video webcast or hear Risk Roundup audio podcast, please go to riskgroupllc.com. And do not forget to subscribe and share. Until next time, I'm Jayashree, host of Risk Roundup, signing off. See you next time. Thank you.